Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of One Out of One. Today, I want to talk about something that's been frustrating me for a while, and we felt like we haven't been able to talk about COVID. So we're all tired of hearing about COVID, and we're all ready to get back to our normal lives, and we're ready for this to get out of the news. What's the problem? The news will not let it get out of the news. The politicians will not let it get out of politics. And there's an entire group of people which, guess what, it has now become political. No, scratch that, it's always been political. COVID has always been a political thing. You can look back at any point in the pandemic, take someone's perspective on COVID, and you can figure out generally where their politics lie. You'll have exceptions, of course, but as a, as a large group of people, you will have a pretty easy time figuring out what these individuals believe. So with it being so political, and with us now being a year removed, actually over a year removed, of the height of the pandemic, at the start of it, we've got to sit down and question, are we still in crisis mode? All right? So I'm going to take a small picture, and then I'm going to encourage you to do the same within your own states, and with other states, and with the nation. All right? So, I'm going to be talking specifically about Georgia, because most of the people I know, my family, my in-laws, and where I work, are all within Georgia. So I am most familiar with Georgia's numbers. At my workplace, uh, vaccines have been offered to anyone who wants them. Uh, it's not being forced upon anybody, which I'm very thankful for. But also, no restrictions are being lifted at all. As a matter of fact, in some cases, they're starting to crack down more on restrictions than they did during the middle part of 2020, when we were seeing a bigger rising number in cases. And so my question, when I see these people start to put more restrictions in place and uh, start to jump down people's throats more about social distancing and mask wearing and so on and so forth, I start to think, and I, I, I've got to ask myself, do the numbers support the crisis phase that we are acting like we're in? And so I've, what I do is I go to the Atlanta Journal, because the Atlanta Journal has a dashboard for COVID that lays out all of the numbers in these beautiful little graphs. It's very easy for anybody to pick up and look at. You don't have to be a genius to look at a graph and tell what's going on. And I love the way that they've laid it out. You can, uh, you can get a pretty extensive amount of information. And so this is where I have been going every week to keep up with the COVID numbers. Ever since May of last year, I've been checking in about every week. Uh, lately, it's been more of a monthly thing because, frankly, the numbers are going to tell why. Let me let me pull this up. So, we're at the Atlanta Journal dashboard, which they get their numbers from the Georgia Department of Health, which is the same place where the CDC gets their numbers about Georgia. Okay? So, the, these are the same numbers, the same data that the CDC is, re re is uh, receiving. There's a couple of different categories here. We've got newly reported cases by day in Georgia. We've got uh, cases by date of symptom onset in Georgia. 
We've got newly reported deaths by day and deaths by day of death in Georgia. Those are going to be the most important ones. Also very important are these two, the current hospitalizations and the newly reported hospitalizations. Those are the major categories that I'm going to cover right now because I think that's all the information you need to start to feel like something fishy is going on here. All right, so when someone is coming to you and telling you how, even though we've gotten uh, most of the people in the, well, not most of the people, a huge number of people in the U.S. vaccinated, and uh, I've, I've actually got this pulled up here. I think it's about 34%. 34% of Georgia at this point has been vaccinated. Yep, right there. 35% of the state has been vaccinated at least one time, 24% being fully. Now, what's important is I don't see anywhere that says that children are not included in this. It's just a general... Oh, yep, there it is. It's got all of the age groups right here listed out in the percentage of people uh, who are uh, receiving the doses. And guess what? Kids are included. Minors and people my age are included. So, 34% of all age groups from as young as 15 all the way up to the oldest person in the state of Georgia, 34% have at least received one dose of the vaccine. So if you receive one dose of, let's say, Pfizer or Moderna, the two most effective ones, you're 70% protected. If you receive both doses, 95 for Moderna and 97% for Pfizer, okay? That's very effective. And that's not just for getting it. That's for being able to spread it as well. So take that into consideration. If you have the vaccine, then there's a 97% chance you cannot get it and a 97% chance that you cannot spread it, which means if you have both doses... You're one of the safest people to be around. Now, with that percentage of people being vaccinated, you might think, well, I mean, that's only 34%. There's still, there's still a whole whopping 66 or 65% of people that are still completely dangerous. But do the numbers show that? If you look at the newly reported cases by day, we are at the lowest point ever since July, I think it was June the 19th. Ever since June the 19th when we saw the, a big spike over the summer, we're at the lowest point. And we've been at that lowest point since the beginning of March. If you scroll down to the cases by date of symptom onset, it looks even better and even more consistent. We are still in that graph right there at the lowest point that we've been since the beginning of the summer. And why is that important? Well, because deaths trail after the cases. People die after they start to receive the symptoms. If you scroll down to the newly reported deaths by day, we saw a big spike in deaths over the winter, which was a very sad time. But things started to trail downward 
And now we're at the point where we're almost to the low point that we were at before the start of the summer. And then here's here's the mo- the more important part, not just the newly reported, but the deaths by day of death. You see a giant spike during the summer. That's a rolling average by day. You see an even bigger jump in the winter. And then you see this massive, biggest we've seen, downward stream that has dropped to the lowest point. If you put all of the deaths on the scale for the day that they've died, that means they've been completely processed. Uh, the uh, the reason for death has been located. And we... I'm, at this point, I don't think Georgia has had an audit of their numbers, so even these numbers might be a little bit off. But if you look at the day that these people died from COVID or with COVID, you'll notice we are at the lowest point, period, even before the summer started back in March of last year. If you look at hospitalizations, the current hospitalizations are at the lowest point ever since the middle of June. If you look at newly reported hospital cases, we are at the lowest point, period. Take this into consideration. We're seeing low numbers. We've seen rises and falls throughout uh, the pandemic. However... What makes this different is we now have vaccinations. And if you look at this, uh, this other page, I have a page pulled up here from usafacts.org. You can tell me whether or not it's very accurate or whatnot, but this page is devoted uh, to the vaccination progress in Georgia. And when you scroll down to look at the age groups, the overwhelming majority of people who have received the vaccine, if you put all of these age groups and line them up, over two-thirds of the people who've received the vaccine are 55 and older. Why is that important? Because your toddler is one of the most likely, less likely age groups to die from COVID. When me and my wife got COVID, I lost my sense of smell. And I was a little sleepy. She lost her sense of taste and smell and was a little sleepy. That was it for us. And for both of us, we both have some health things that could have made COVID a little bit worse. Like for me, I have asthma. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be, but it's enough so to where if I got the flu, I might have a difficult time handling the flu. When I got COVID, it was not that severe for me. It doesn't mean that there's not a strand that would be more difficult for me or not more deadly. But we have no evidence to suggest that we're still in crisis mode right now. It's like all we're doing is preventing crisis. Because for people like me, if you take most people my age, and especially within my health and line us all up, we're probably some of the safest people to be around. And that's even before getting vaccinated. And we're not certainly going to be in danger. So if you get the people vaccinated who are most likely to die from it, guess what? People like me, we're going to be okay.
Now, there's one more thing I want to I want to put out there, just to keep in mind, and it has to do with the death rate. If you look at the death rate in Georgia, like for howsoever many people who uh, get a case of COVID versus how many people die of COVID, you you can get a percentage from that to get the rate of death by COVID. If you look at the numbers in Georgia, they have consistently been at about 4.4 to 5%, okay? But I got a question for you. Do those numbers that you're seeing account for people who've not been tested? Let me give you a scenario. When my wife and I found out that we had COVID, that now we were we're in Tennessee, so our numbers would go towards Tennessee, not Georgia, but I wanted to give you an example that got me started on this process. I went in to get tested. My wife did not. I went in. I tested positive for it. And as I was leaving, the doctor told me, if anybody in your house shows symptoms, you can automatically assume that they're positive with it as well and do the same things that you're doing for yourself with them. And so, you know, at first I was like, well, that makes sense. I mean, if I've got it, chances are my wife, you know, my wife, the woman I like to kiss a lot, the woman I'm most likely to give anything to, is probably going to have it. Then I started to think about it a minute. I I realized, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. If I got tested and my number is counted towards Tennessee, but she didn't and her numbers are not counted towards Tennessee, then at least by one person, the death rate in Tennessee is off. And especially then, if that same person is giving that same advice, then the numbers in Tennessee could be really off. But I wanted to make sure I wasn't jumping on anything, so I said, all right, you know what? Let me ask around to some people that I know got COVID, and let me find out uh, if they had the same experience. And it turns out they did as well. I, right away, I texted my family, and I was like, so, Mom, when you guys got COVID, all four of you, did uh, the doctor tell you that everybody needed to get tested or just to assume that everyone else was positive? And sure enough, when one of them tested positive, the doctor said, go on home. Nobody else has to get tested. If they show symptoms, they're positive. So there, right away, I could confirm that the Georgia numbers were off by at least three people because none of my family died from COVID. And then that got me really thinking. Now I've got two doctors in two different states who gave the same advice. And then I thought even further and realized, wait a second, weren't we complaining about a test shortage not too long ago? And that really got me thinking. If you take every single household where everybody in the house got COVID and you realize that only 
one, maybe two people have been tested for it, then you're talking about massive disparity between the numbers that we're seeing and the numbers that are actually true. Now, I can't quite confirm this because I don't, I honestly don't think anybody can fully confirm this. You know, right now in 2021 and 2022 is what, not 2022, 2020 as well. We're dealing with numbers that we can't really confirm. With the COVID stuff, we may not know entirely what happened because we can't keep track of something that doesn't show symptoms in everyone it infects or may present itself as a cold in a lot of people was probably in the States a lot longer than we realized it was. And we're not every single person is getting tested. We can't keep up with that, and we can't necessarily backtrack very effectively to get those good, solid numbers. But what we can do is we can look at the big overarching story, and we can say, you know what? There's a lot of factors that aren't being considered when we hear these numbers put out there of how many people are dying and how many people are getting infected. We're not getting the full story. And you see, the thing is, that affects the case numbers. Oh my goodness, there are more cases than we realize. Yes, but realize this. The deaths don't go up. Think about it. Whenever somebody dies, they get an autopsy to see how they died, right? And from there, we get told how they died. If it's a COVID death, they died because of COVID or oftentimes probably if they died with COVID in their system, they are counted as a COVID death. So unless the rumor is true that there are a mass amount of people who are being found dead in their apartments or will be found dead in their apartments, then the numbers are not reflective of reality. I'm not saying we ignore everything. We do what's necessary to protect the people around us, okay? But at some point, we have to stop and reassess and say, okay, are we still living in the realm of reality or are we living in the realm of fear? And I'll be honest with you, I think today we are living in a state of fear. I think when you pull up the numbers and you look at the numbers in states like Georgia, it does not look as severe as what we have been told. Additionally, Y'all remember when uh, Texas and Mississippi lifted their COVID restrictions and there was a mass panic about how the numbers were going to go up? Oh, I got another personal story about that as well. We heard the numbers about how uh, things were going to shoot through the roof and uh, Texans were going to drop dead everywhere from COVID. It turns out that didn't happen. It may have happened in specific areas, but if you look at their big numbers, their big scale numbers, it's not happening. It hasn't happened. You know why? Because we have vaccinations that are being distributed now. And that limits the spread and that limits the deaths. When you have something that is going to restrict the spread of a deadly virus in the future... 
it's going to affect the numbers. And I think that the Texans in power realized that at this point, with as many people who are vulnerable getting vaccinated, the numbers were going to naturally go down, and they have. Additionally, there's a lot of misinformation spread by people who should know better. Uh, we had a nurse that was on site giving out uh, vaccinations at a, at my workplace. And, you know, I was, I was talking about how uh, with as many people as been vaccinated at this point in the U.S., because it's, it's getting close to or surpassed half at this point. What that shows us is that we should be seeing positive numbers that means that we can lift restrictions. And the nurse said, oh, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, here in Georgia, we're seeing a huge spike in hospitalizations. And I thought to myself, hmm, well, you know, it's been about a month since I looked at the numbers. Maybe we are. So uh, I'll just pull this up and double check. And she was wrong. The hospital where she was working saw an increase. And most of the rest, not meaning like 60%, like 95% of the rest of the hospitals in the state of Georgia saw a decline in cases and hospitalizations for COVID. That means that she took either a personal experience or a talking point and used it as a means to continue to push a scare tactic. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what else we can do at this point. I think this is getting out of hand. And I think it's getting out of hand because we have too many politicians and people in power who will not let go of their power. That is why I have so much respect for people like Ron DeSantis. You're going to hear his name a lot because he's probably going to be the front runner in uh, 2024 for the Republicans. Honestly, He'll probably win because he's probably going to win by a landslide in in uh, Florida. And he's probably going to sweep the nation. I don't think Joe Biden can stand against someone like Ron DeSantis. So you're going to hear his name a lot. But the reason why he's so important is because he's one of the few politicians that is actively trying to limit the power of government, including his own power. People should not take power that is not theirs to have. And that's why at this point, I think we have to start really having uh, more urgent conversations about how long all of these COVID restrictions are going to be. Because if we don't surrender our power now, will we ever? Be right back with uh, a short devotional, and then we'll wrap this episode up. Today's is going to be kind of short. I went a little bit long in the uh, in the previous section. Uh, it's something I've known for, something I've been keeping an eye on for a while, and just have been waiting for the right time to really talk about it. And I think that this was the best time to. That being said, as a little long-winded, so we're going to keep this one short so I can let you guys go. We're going to be in First Peter chapter five, and this is I, this should be the last one that we do on. Uh, First Peter, and then we'll move on to another book. I was, I was listening to, and of course, get ready for the eye roll from people who know me well and have heard me talk for a long time. 
I was listening to Steven Crowder earlier last week. And his, his big point that he brought up in the episode is that most people are cowards. Most people are too afraid to stand up and do the right thing. And when you look around and you're, you're vigilant in looking for that to see which people are willing to stand up and do the right thing and which ones are real, willing to conform, you will find that the people who are willing to conform are so much larger than the people who are willing to stand up and do the right thing. You will find that the vast majority of people are much more comfortable with surrendering whatever they have to in order to uh, not get attacked by somebody else who doesn't even know them, will never know them, or, or is just not going to punish them or anything. People are so much more willing to conform than they are to stand up and do the right thing. And I don't say that as a means to attack those people, because, I mean... What good is that going to do? They're already conforming, and they're conforming to the masses. There's really nothing you can do to hurt them, because then you've got the mass to go after. What I would rather do instead is try to increase the number of people who are going to do the right thing, and to embolden the people who are tired of doing the right thing. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, beginning at verse 8. It's not going to be very long, but just a little bit. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now we know through scripture that uh, in terms of the path that leads uh, to the Lord that leads to righteousness, uh, wide and well traveled is well traveled is the path that leads to destruction, and uh, narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, and few find it. We know that, but you get a whole new visualization of it when you start to look around you, and you start to realize how many people are actually willing to step up. And stand against the group. We know in terms of our faith that we are willing, at least most of us I would say will give lip service of being willing to take persecution. But uh, I, was, I was reading book, uh, The Heavenly Man. It's a, it's a book about persecution in China. And all of the time, frequently, even in China where they've got honestly better faith than us. And their numbers of Christianity over there are skyrocketing. They have been for some time now. And uh, that's because the church under persecution grows. Not just grows in terms of numbers of actual true believers, but they grow in terms of their steadfastness in their faith. Even there... A church would be standing together, and they would hear that someone from their congregation, one of the men in their congregation, has been arrested. And then the wife would stand up and say, I divorced this man. And the reason is because 
if you were arrested in China for your faith and you're a native, you're native Chinese, the chances of you getting out within any reasonable amount of time are so small that many of these women, and there were husbands as well who did the same thing, believed that it would be easier for them to divorce their husbands who are suffering in prison for their faith than to stand by them as they resist the devil. And even then, many in prison would recant their faith to escape the persecution. Those who are willing to speak up and resist the devil are very, very small. However, we also have the words of God that say, Fear not, for I have overcome the world. I mean, we're looking at a short-term suffering. How long do people live in the United States? 80 years? 90, 100 years if you're really lucky? We're talking about a short-term period of pain and suffering, followed by an eternity with God, without pain, without suffering, without persecution, without social pressuring. Probably, and I've, I may have mentioned this before, I don't quite remember, and I'll probably mention it again, my favorite illustration of the Bible was Francis Chan came out on stage and he was he gave a picture of eternity. He had this big long rope on stage and about three inches of one end of the rope uh, had a little bit of orange tape around it and then the other end was hidden somewhere backstage. And it's a huge rope, probably uh, a couple hundred feet. And he brings it out and he's like, you know, we've got so many people that are so concerned about this and he points to the little orange piece. And give no mind to this. And then he starts pulling on the big hundred foot rope that just keeps going and going and going. And part of when, when, when I think about suffering, as difficult of a question as it is, what always brings me back, it may not bring other people back, but what brings me back over and over is remembering that the suffering that we go through, no matter how intense here, is just that little orange piece of tape. And when you keep pulling on that rope and you keep pulling and you keep pulling for hundreds and thousands and millions of miles of just rope without that orange tape, eventually that orange tape doesn't matter very much. I would much rather suffer for every day of my life in that little bit of orange rope. than to miss out on God's blessings and his presence and his goodness for the hundreds and thousands and millions of miles of the rest of the rope. So my friends, when you're concerned about doing the right thing of whether or not you should stand up, I want you to think about that and remember the sufferings we have here are temporary. And the promise of every tear being wiped from our eyes and no more death or mourning or crying or pain, that will be eternal. 
We'll see you guys next week. Thank you all very much.